Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone. This is Marty Oakley, the PPJ Gazette Online, and this is the DS Radio Network. That was the voice of Marty Oakley, who passed on April the 1st, 2023. She was the warrior behind these programs and stood strong to oppose the abuse going on in nursing homes, hospitals, hospices, and guardianships. Rest in peace, Marty. We carry the torch. Good evening. I'm Marcia Joyner, and this is Betrayed by Hospice, where we expose the truth and not the candy-coated version that hospice wants you to know. Why did I title this segment Hospice Racketeering Collateral Damage? The term racketeering broadly refers to criminal acts that involve a racket, a racket being some sort of scheme organized to extract illegal profits and can include crimes such as murder, kidnapping, robbery, and drug crimes, among others listed. Racketeering is a type of organized crime in which the persons set up a coercive, fraudulent, extortionary or otherwise illegal coordinated scheme to operation to repeatedly or consistently collect a profit. The perpetrators offer a service that will not be put into effect, a service to solve a non-existent problem, or a service that solves a problem that would not exist without the racket. Collateral damage is any death, injury, or other damage inflicted that is incidental result of an activity. Some other words are casualties, victim, loss, prey, fatality, and fatal accident. Case in point, check out Novus Hospice in Frisco, Texas, with CEO Bradley Harris and 12 others who are in federal prison now for their crimes against Medicare fraud and not the fact that they murdered people often those not meeting any criteria. They have text saying, find me someone and make them go bye-bye. So because the government is funding hospice under Medicare and Medicaid, it is a condoned operation, thus not considered illegal, except in the eyes of humanity. They offer a service to provide compassion and comfort to minimize pain for the actively dying as originally created in 1967 by Dame Cicely Saunders. But clearly, this is not what is happening. It's a bait and switch of the worst kind. First, they are targeting those who are not in active stage of dying, enrolling patients who have a disease that can be treated, and falsifying six months till death, well, a natural death, that is, And often patients are not in pain and they're given the same toxic drug cocktail. One size fits all. They're drugged into a coma until they die from the drugs, dehydration, and starvation. And they reap the profit. And keep in mind that these drugs are given without consent or knowledge of the patient or family, and they certainly aren't told about the effects of the drugs. The drug effects mimic the person dying And now they are because of what was done to them and not any disease. So how is that different than racketeering? Business for profit and our people are the commodity that wind up being collateral damage. Not one person that I have spoken to over the past six years said that their loved one was in the active stage of dying and most said that their loved one was not in pain. As well, 
they did not give consent for the drugs. So why is this happening? One word, money. It's a business. This week, someone in our Facebook group, Murdered by Hospice, posted an excellent YouTube. Hospice cap tracking, monitoring and actively managing for success. To be honest, I'm surprised it's out there to be viewed by the public because it points out that hospice is indeed a money-making business. And you betcha the bean counters are monitoring the patient's length of service to make sure they're not cutting into their profits. And that's exactly what this video is about. People often ask, why would hospice kill people when they're making money taking care of them? And that's a good question. I'll try to explain it. Every year, there is an aggregate cap that begins October the 1st per patient. For fiscal year 2024, it's $33,494, which covers approximately six months of care for a patient. Some may die sooner than six months, and some live longer. So it's a pot of money that is used by the hospice facility. And there are different levels of hospice care and uh, different money amounts, um, but that's another program. The video that I'm speaking of gave an example that may put it into perspective. It lists 32000 for the cat with a person dying at 30 days. Hospice received 32000 but they only spent around 6000 to take care of that person. So they have a surplus of 26000 to be put in the pot for another patient who may go over six months. And the guy giving this um, video talked about length of service, or they call it LOS, and states that if a hospice has bad cap numbers, they need to enroll more patients that have shorter length of service, meaning they enroll people that will die sooner. As long as a patient is in service, you get less money. That's his comment. He states 80% of the patients should be shorter length of service of your, or if your facility will be in trouble. They even talked about if you're at a 40 census, and I'm not quite sure what that means, you need to be enrolling 10 new patients a month. And if you only enroll six, you will be in trouble with your numbers. And if you don't believe there are quotas on enrollment, check out an excellent book by Michelle Young Doers, Killing for Profit, The Dark Side of Hospice. She was a hospice respiratory nurse, and she can show you the inside of those doors. It will enlighten you. They also stated that live discharges are an issue. If the person revokes hospice because they get better or actually realize their loved one is being harmed and not helped, they lose money. And if the person goes to another hospice, they have to share part of that 32000 in his example. And they don't want to do that. It will drain the cap credit. It states you want to grow business, not shrink it. My mom had told her hospice she didn't want them to send any nurses' aides anymore, so she became a liability. They couldn't afford to let her be alive discharged, so right afterwards, she was tricked into her and my dad going into the death wing for his respite, and once there, they drugged her into a coma and ultimately ended her life. She was collateral damage, which began my journey here. 
He further, the gentleman in the YouTube, talks about where to get new referrals and to try to get those who will die sooner than later. Analyze the referrals you get from physicians to determine the length of service they are providing you and check other hospices to see which physician is giving shorter length of service and use that in your marketing arrangements with hospitals and inpatient facilities. And remember, you want to keep 80% to be initial enrollments and not recertifications because that means the patient has lived longer than six months and is recertified and they're eating into your profits. These aren't my words. They're the words in the video pointing out this is a profit business and our loved ones or the commodity or collateral damage. I feel like Laura Ingram, and that's my open. If during the program you have a question or comment, select one on your phone. Tonight's guest is, is Debbie Mulcaney, a licensed practical nurse since 1977. She worked at a medical surgical psychiatric nurse home care, a head nurse in a skilled care facility, a supervisor of a substance abuse program, and taught certified nurses' aides courses. Debbie was a member of the former Hospice Patients Alliance with Ron Panzer, Vicki Travis, and myself. She brings a wealth of knowledge to the subject of hospice abuse. Due to her knowledge, she was able to save her parents from dying before their time, but it wasn't for lack of hospice doctors and nurses trying to manipulate her. Sadly, her mom's natural death date anniversary was January the 26th. Her parents celebrated their 69th anniversary in heaven this past September. On a personal side, her hobbies, she likes to sing, play guitar, piano, violin, and accordion. She competed in adult Irish dance, participated in musical theater, and leads music at her church. Her home companions are three rescued Bichons and 11 talking parrots. She is speaking outside of her home tonight because her parents love to talk when she's on the phone. I can attest to that. So join me in welcoming Debbie to our program tonight. So Debbie, I'd like for you to jump in, please. Okay, hi. Like she said, I, I've been a nurse for quite a long time, and actually when I realized things were going a little weird with hospice was when I was working at a nursing home that happened to be a Catholic nursing home, and the reason I thought I could work there without any problems was because, you know, Catholics are pro-life. We don't kill people. We don't kill babies. We don't do any of this. Well, I had, I'm going to give two examples of what happened there, and that must have been my, my training for my parents because there was a one patient there who went to the hospital with a bladder infection, came back with a feeding tube. Debbie, are you there? And I could give him more. Yeah. Okay, you broke up. Am I not? He came back with a feeding tube. I came back with the feeding tube, and I was told that we were not giving him any more feedings, and I was to give him morphine every two hours round the clock. Now, this is the same man that talked to me a week before that, and I walked in his room, and I said, hey, John, are you having any pain or anything? And he said, no, but he goes, are you still single? So, I mean, the man still ha was still with it. I mean, it wasn't like he was curled up dying. So, anyhow... Right. um, 
I fought. I fought the, the I said, I said, well, I won't give it. And I said, well, you have to follow the doctor's orders. And I said, I can't follow them if it has anything to do with me participating in a patient dying. And anyhow, so I got sent for, to a counselor for this because I wasn't going to follow directions. So I go see this counselor, and, and it was a matter of me keeping my job or not. So he says, well, what are you here for? So I told him, and he says, oh, my gosh. He says, no. He says, okay. We've taken care of your problem. You're fine. I'll just tell them you were in to see me. So anyway, we fought that one out. I had called the local bishop. I had gone to Detroit Archdiocese over this and everything else. And finally, one of the um, church lawyers jumped in and said, no, you cannot euthanize him with morphine. So we won that case, but um, I was being watched very carefully. Then we had another patient coming right from the hospital, from the neuro unit, and she had a stroke. She was 73 years old. They told me it was a massive stroke, and she was brain dead. So I had to do the admission. And as I'm doing the admission, of course, I'm talking to her husband because I can't talk to her. But at the same time, I'm watching her, and she's watching me. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, she's not brain dead. But I didn't want to get in trouble again. So I went home, and I grabbed my little emotional support dog and my big white bird and brought them back after supper. And I put them on her bed. Miraculously, she picked up her left arm and started petting the animal. And her husband jumped up and he said, she's not brain dead. And I said, no, she's not. But I didn't want to say that. I wanted you to see that. So we we talked to that woman too. And she lived another four years. She learned to walk with a a four-prong, you know, walker thing. And she, uh, she learned to feed herself with her left hand. Her speech wasn't the best, but she still was doing good. So those are my two examples from the nursing home that um, kind of made me wonder about hospice. Well, in the meantime, my parents lived up north, and um, dad fell in the river with his um, his tractor, and then mom fell down the stairs trying to go help him. And I said, you know, you guys have to move down closer to me because I, I can't. El año pasado, más del 25% de las muertes causadas por accidentes de tráfico fueron relacionadas al alcohol o drogas. Cuando decides conducir bajo la influencia, estás poniendo en riesgo tu vida, la de tus seres queridos y los otros conductores. Tome la decisión correcta. No manejes bajo la influencia. Todos contamos contigo. Un mensaje de la Policía Estatal de Nueva Jersey. 